Brethren, over the last few years, I've assembled what I would consider the world's greatest football shirt collection. And honestly, I'm very proud of that. And with assembling something like this, you don't want to have too many rules, right? You want to just say, you know what, go nuts, get legendary players or really, really nice jerseys that you're going to remember forever. I have one rule over anything else. No Liverpool jersey shall ever touch this wall. But yep. Mo Salah is making it awfully hard for me to not put his because he's becoming <laughs> a real, real legend. One. Don't worry about that. Thank you. Yeah, and you know the reason I bring this up, of course, is because if you are unlike me, let's say you you have you have no boundaries. You're you're the type of person who would even purchase a Liverpool jersey. I could never, but maybe you are. <laughs> the place that you can find one is over at ElmontYouthSoccer.com. When you go to ElmontYouthSoccer.com. You can start assembling your very own jersey wall collection. What you'll find there is jerseys for every sport imaginable, retro, current, vintage, no matter. You name the player, you name the jersey, they've got it for ridiculous prices that will then be further discounted when you use the promo code TJW10 at checkout. You will save 10% off your order, which is saving money on already ridiculous prices. Go to ElmontYouthSoccer.com and help support the Jersey Wall Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to recap one hell of a Super Sunday. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your favorite podcast. It's the Jersey Wall. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Nathan Santos. And with me, returning to his position of international correspondent, is (laughs) Brethren FC's reunion, Mina, golly, brethren, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. I don't know if you're welcoming me back to the TJW or back to Egypt. It's it's <laughs> to both, I guess, right? It's something of a, yeah. of, a, of a play on words there because, of course, you're not back. You've now left again, but you're back yeah. to the show where I love to have you. So thank you for, for joining me regardless of where you are in the world. Thanks again um, for having me. Always a pleasure. It's great to see you. It's always great to talk to you. And today we've got a hell of an episode in store where... Off the bat, I'll say it's going to be one of our shorter episodes. We're going to keep this one short and sweet. And the reason is because it's going to take a lot out of us. All right. (laughs) Recapping this Super Sunday, we could go on for hours and hours. But sometimes it's better to just put it all on the table and then move on. And that's the approach that we're going to take for today's episode. But first, we got to get you started with our Bro Talk segment of the day. Dude, I'm excited about this one. This is a nice one. This is a nice one. Yeah, I've been thinking the past couple of weeks we do bro talk as, you know, leniently, but every once in a while we get a bro talk, yeah. you know, topic where we're like, no, we need to de- devote some time off the top of the show just to talk about this. All right. Yeah, Today, I think we might have a couple similar ones. I hope so, to be honest. We only have, we each have three and we're going to push through them because, like I said, it's a condensed episode. But for me, uh, looking at this list, what we're going to be talking about today is underrated TV shows. Or underrated shows in general. If they're on, if they're a web series, whatever it is. For I don't have any web series shows. Maybe you do. Nonetheless, we do this because as much as we love to uh, edutain you guys on the sport and and break down and do analysis and all this fun stuff. Every once in a while, we just got to impart wisdom, right? We got to say, <laughs> you know what? In our lives, we've acquired this wisdom, and we just got to share it with you guys and let you know what you could be watching when you finish this week's episode of the Jersey Wall Podcast. So, we're gonna start you guys off with this, brethren. At number three, what's the most underrated TV show? Uh, number three is one that you actually just put me on recently in that Superstore. I don't know if you have that there. Or if you have That's my third place list. too, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. 
It's a funny show. Like it's actually Hilarious. quite funny. It's it's the office taking place at a Walmart type store, basically. Yeah. Something of a Brooklyn nine nine almost, but in in a supermarket. And yeah, in a like a big box supermarket type store. Yeah. Now the way that we define underrated here is shows that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, but that don't get put in the conversation of like all time great shows when really based on the quality of the programming, they ought to be. Right? Maybe they don't have the same international uh, you know, outreach. We're not going to say you know, Superstore is the next Office or Friends or anything. Cause those are <laughs> you know, generational type shows. But if you're looking for a Brooklyn Nine-Nine style show, a Parks and Rec style show, a show of like just maybe the tier below New Girl that hits hard and, and it's funny as hell, you got to check out Superstore. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's a good third place because I have that one in third place too. In second place... What do you got? I, here's where I think we will differ because I went to completely different genres here. Okay. Okay, cool. But you mentioned one and I think it might be rated in some people's opinions. And I went with, uh, I went with New Girl actually because it took us so long to watch it. And a lot of people just thought that because of the, the cast or because of the name of the show that it wasn't in our type of demographic, but it's actually quite like a bro level funny or like, I think I think guys would find it hilarious. I'm I'm not aware of any of my guy friends that watch New Girl other than you, but it's a hilarious show and you should definitely check it out. So may, it's underrated for me in that sense that if you're like, oh, bro, that's such a girly show. Well, no, it isn't. Like it's actually quite funny for everyone. I, I hear what you're saying completely. It took us a long time to get around to New Girl, and the reason was because of the title. It's misleading. I thought yeah. it was another like chick flick drama type show. And I was so wrong. It's probably the the show. Now I have my favorite, you know, sitcom genre shows. This moved its way into like my top three favorite sitcom shows ever because the humor that you find yourself in all these different characters so good. is so freaking funny. I can appreciate that show. I think New Girl is a little bit is appropriately rated global. Like I think enough people are like, yeah, New Girl's freaking hilarious. But in the sense of you and I, maybe people like us who are still refusing to try it because they don't think that, you know, that the name would, would, would suit their interest. Or that they were in the demographic, yeah. I can assure you, it absolutely is. It's one of the, it's... Totally. Of all the you sitcoms, it it's made me laugh harder, harder <laughs> than I think any other sitcom. Like specific uh, incidents in the show have made me laugh yep. harder than, than I ever thought I could from a sitcom. So congratulations to them. I totally. Don't what do you have at number two? I, I moved to a drama, right? Okay. Okay. I moved over to a show that was referred to me a couple of years ago uh, by a gentleman by the name of Michael Spade. He's been on the show before. I used to work with him at TSN. The show's called Gotham. You ever watched mm. Gotham? I, can't, I knew you were going to say that. Gotham is an underrated yeah. show because, listen, as a, as a student of media, of production, of broadcasting and all that stuff, you know, I, I understand how to tell a story. I understand, uh, you know, a lot that goes into this to post-production and, and creating this kind of content and, and stuff like that. Now, Gotham, I, I bring that up because from a point of view of someone who can critically analyze their show, I'd be like, okay, this show is pretty, pretty stupid. Okay? <laughs> but from an entertainment standpoint, once you get over the fact that the an, a, a, an acceptable explanation for stuff that happens is, yeah, it's Gotham. That, like, that's just what happens. You can <laughs> actually really enjoy the show. Because if you're going to look at it through the lens of like, Okay, this is ridiculous. Like this person died. How do they bring them back? Like this is ridiculous. Every time this always happens. How did this? It's just Gotham. Like what's going on? And you just accept the fact that it's Gotham. The Joker 
in in that show is one of the best that I've seen. Okay. Oh, really? Um, Alfred in that show is one of the best that I've seen. Like the nice. and the the thing that I find with these, and it, it might tie into my to my number one pick. <clears throat> the thing that I find ties a great drama, especially of the the superhero type narrative is the villains, right? It's not necessarily the protagonist. Yeah. It's the villains in the show. If they are good enough that they can get you invested in what they're doing and why it's important, and that, that goes the same for everything. That's the same with pro wrestling, right? Like anything that constructs a narrative of pros versus cons, heroes versus villains, if the villains are good, it's going to be a great story. If the oh. villains are forgettable, you're going to forget about it. But the villains in this show in particular are freaking awesome. Penguin, Oswald Cobblepot, is awesome the riddler in it is awesome uh like i said the joker is awesome it's the origin story for these characters and coming up through gotham mm -hmm. and honestly like you you fall in love with it it's it's a really really underrated show that i think people should check yeah, out yeah you've recommended to me mystery a lot drama of times. style yeah. yeah i like it a lot that's great yeah anyway on to number one all right you ready for my number one i also I moved genres uh Dumb. and i went to kind of like an adventure but it's on netflix um and it's called a series of unfortunate events i don't know if you've seen it but it's based on the book series and i wasn't aware of those books growing up but daria was and she recommended that we watch that show together and and the um the antagonist is actually neil patrick harris from how Mary mother okay but everything about that show is great i mean the the storytelling of it the way that it just keeps actually keeping you guessing because I've never read the book. So I don't know what is supposed to happen in this particular story of this miniseries. Um, the costumes design, the the storytelling of it, the, the music soundtrack, everything is great. And I just actually really enjoyed it from someone who wasn't aware of the books before. So I recommend it to people that actually like kind of kid-friendly uh, adventures. Oh, I've heard of it before, but I've never I've never figured to watch it. And I've heard of the books, uh, and I've never read those either, to be honest. But it seems like one of those shows, to me personally, that I'd be like, eh, it seems like one I could forget. I, th I actually thought it was a movie. I didn't even know that it was a series. Mm. But if it's of that, you know, and Neil Patrick, hey, you know, I love you some Barney, right? I love me some Neil yeah, Patrick Yeah, he's Harris. good in it. He's so he, good in it, man. I would imagine. And you said there's music in it too? Yeah, the score is great. Okay. It just keeps you. It just keeps you in, entertained, and, and it, like it actually delivers the type of sensation that you're supposed to be feeling at that time. All right, might have to check it out. Moving on to my number one, my number one underrated show for the purposes of this list is Daredevil. Mm, that was a good Dude, show. I can't believe I didn't watch Daredevil sooner. That's the real mark of an underrated show. Right. Like sometimes yeah. people take forever to get along. And obviously this isn't the the list or or the episode here to be talking about the what are the best shows on Netflix. That's a different thing. You could then you can bring up all oh, your office, you know, your um breaking bad, whatever. Mothers, like whatever. bring up shows yeah. like that, narcos, you know, stuff like that Netflix makes or or that they have that's just awesome. But people know that that, that it's awesome. I did not know that Daredevil was this awesome. Across three seasons we see this character arc and this like some of the most badass fighting scenes that I've ever seen again with unreal villains that keep you so invested in the show and this like uphill battle for your main character, Daredevil. Charlie it's Cox. such an entertaining show. Yeah. It's wonderful. And it's the, or it takes you from origin to 
the place where we where they had to leave the character off because you know hopefully it gets it gets picked up and i've heard some rumors that that marvel will be bringing him back into the mcu and most of the cast mm-hmm. and honestly i'm very excited about that i, I think cool. it's kind of funny if if disney plus ends up making a, a continuation of the series that was specifically made for <laughs> But man, it was a good freaking show. It started off very like, I felt like very like Batman-y, you know, like yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. the guy's got his day job, that. he's got his proper, you know, stuff. And then at night, he's a crime fighting superhero, but without any powers. And he just beats people to a pulp, but never kills. And I'm like, okay, there's your Batman. But as the, <laughs> as the story kind of progressed. Now, the one thing about this is that between seasons two and three, there's a series called The Defenders, Okay. You must watch this series before it's only it's a limited series. It's eight episodes, but so it before sets you up watch season three? three of Daredevil, and I didn't know ah. that. Okay, okay. I watched season three of Daredevil, and I was like, "What's going on here?" Right, like, <laughs> like, I, like something so is much, missing, yeah. and I thought I missed an episode or something because they were referring to it in flashbacks and stuff. I'm like, "How did he get like this?" And I won't spoil anything, but then I watched the Defenders after I finished the series and it plugged all the holes. I went, Oh, that's how we ended up like that. Okay. That makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually such a good show. And maybe I'll watch the Defenders because I also felt the same way when I was watching season three of Dead Double. Yeah. And, and I watched it now, right? So obviously it's been, it's been out for a number of years, but it, you would have known this if you were watching it in real time because the Defenders would have come out before season three mm. and the trailers would have had Daredevil in it. You'd have been like, what's going on here. Right. <laughs> that's uh that's our underrated shows that you should check out across netflix disney plus wherever it is that you can find them these are some quality shows that if you haven't already seen them we strongly suggest that you check them out All right and with that we got to move on to our episode today because we are running on a condensed schedule which is not something that we're especially used to All right. <laughs> yeah we usually like to give in-depth analysis yeah, and we'll still probably we still probably have enough time to do that, but this will be a lot of uh we're going to cram a lot into a little here, okay? Yeah. The the first place to pick up is just straight up what happened yesterday. And we record this on the Monday. Yesterday was Super Sunday, and it was awesome for some of us. For others, <laughs> it was not so awesome, all right? Now, pretty much nobody likes to see Liverpool win unless you're a Liverpool fan. We hate Liverpool, especially here. So it's not necessarily about praising them. I don't even necessarily want to ask you a question because I know you have a list of things that you want to get off your chest. So I'm just going to throw to you, okay? Brethren, tell me about what happened for Manchester City's, excuse me, for Manchester United's first ever 5 nothing loss in the Premier League to their biggest rivals. Right. So I just want to preface this by saying that I, and I texted you this yesterday, I wasn't as mm-hmm. depressed as I need to be. So I'll be as objective as i have ever been because i'm not as depressed as i need to be surely after a 5-0 defeat previously i would just be like i'm not doing the episode today come back to me later and you would have totally understood and it it just would have been a joe episode at that point but i don't know i I was just in a good mood yesterday and the game wasn't going to ruin it for me so watching the game it just felt like liverpool did not get out of second gear it was way too easy for them and they obviously, obviously, everyone in the defense, everyone in the team has not played well at all when you lose 5-0. No one covered themselves with glory from, you know, from United's team or management. Entire top to bottom, that was a disaster class. And specifically, I want to touch on Luke Shaw because every single goal that I saw was on his side. I don't know mm. how you leave 
the best player in form right now and go to your penalty spot every for every single goal that that happened. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you put pressure on Maguire when he's going to clear the ball away from Naby Keita, but you're in his way now, and then both of you look terrible for doing it. And then I also want to touch on Harry Maguire not being as solid as, as he needs to be, or the captain, and I think his head just went in completely down, going 2-0 down, because he knew... I think from that point, everyone knew that this is Liverpool. This is not Atalanta. They're not going to get a 3-2 win. Maybe yeah. you're going to draw it, but you're kind of hoping that your attack is going to take care of that. And I, as a defense, I won't have to. And he panicked and he didn't really do that well in terms of rallying the defense and trying to solidify everything and just getting the team to halftime with no more goals conceded just so we just so we can hear what the manager has to say about what we're going to do in the second half to make sure we can come back from this. He didn't do that well either. I think Wambasaka had a night off, to be honest. He saw Mane wasn't on the wasn't on the lineup, and and for some reason, it, he played like he didn't have anyone that he was supposed to cover, right? Like you see Sadio Mane not playing, and you're like, okay, well, I'm actually going to win the ball back from whoever's playing on on my side at that moment, which is Liverpool's left wing side, and he also looked like he wasn't didn't know what to do. Victor Lindelof, of course, didn't know what he was didn't know what he was supposed to do, and for every single goal, it just happened from Luke Shaw's side. It looked like he was being targeted. It looked like he was walking around, never crossing, never closing in on the cross, always getting in Maguire's way. Maguire not having, I don't know, the leadership or the focus at the time to tell him to stay where he is, because after you bump into me, if I'm clearing it out and I'm the captain, I'm shouting at you to make sure you don't do that again and to make sure that you stay with your man. Don't come to the ball. Don't play him on side. Don't do any of that stuff. Just stay with your man and try your best. And if he comes after you or if he comes in behind you, I'll deal with it then. But at that point, it's my responsibility because now he's in my zone. Luke Shaw has to stay with him. And honestly, I think he should have been dropped at halftime. And I don't know why he wasn't. I don't know why he stayed on past 25 minutes in the game, which was already, what, 3-0 down? It was actually laughable. It was so easy. Liverpool didn't get out of second gear. They were walking into the... Every single attack that they had was a goal. They were walking around the pitch. It didn't look like they were fighting for it. It looked like they were just having a nice training session. And as soon as it was 2-0 down, the game just ended. It could have ended there, honestly. Like It, it just didn't look like we were ever going to come back from that. And yeah, Bruno missed the, his chance in the second minute, and that could have made it a different game. But those are the margins you're talking about. If you don't miss... If you don't, I'm sorry, if you don't score against a, a rival like Liverpool or, or a quality of a team like Liverpool or City or whoever or Chelsea, then you're going to you're going to pay for it. And you and they absolutely did. And maybe if you capitalize, it's a different game. But the fact of the matter is you didn't. And this is now where you're at. Yeah. And and that's so do you feel like you got it all off your chest? I can now hold calls yeah, and ask it. questions and stuff. Right. And again, you're braver than me for coming on here because you remember when City lost 5-0 to, to Liverpool. I mean, we got it back. Don't get me wrong, right? Yeah. But I, at the time, I was just balled up on my couch and I was like, <laughs> yeah, this isn't uh, this isn't the day for it. And to be honest, I probably would have taken the week off if that happened. So I appreciate <laughs> you coming here and you delivering uh, this analysis. I don't disagree with, with much of it. Um, I think... You know, before the game, my prediction, and 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 I said this to to Joe on the Friday, I said, uh, or maybe it was Saturday, whatever. I said, I think the scoreline tomorrow, because we were talking about fantasy, I said I think it's going to be four one Liverpool, and 
I didn't think that I was being generous to United when I said that. I, I like I, I thought, and at you know, having watched the game, I was like four 0 at halftime. I was like, oh no, I was very generous. This could very, this <laughs> could have literally been if Liverpool after the red card, Liverpool took completely took their foot off the gas and they just said, cool, yeah. we'll just pass it out for the whole rest of the game. If they decided to be merciless, they could have had eight or nine, right? Like, totally. if we're being honest, because now they're playing against 10 men and they were doing it against 11. So there was nothing that was going to get easier at that point in the game. So thank you, merciful Klopp, for only beating us 5-0. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to like... Personally, I, I have... I hear what you're saying about Luke Shaw. I don't disagree with a lot of it. I think, obviously, he got super exposed. But, you know... If I give a cup of juice to a two-year-old and he spills it, I can't really be mad at him, right? Because he I, he doesn't know any better. Luke Shaw is not good enough to be able to cape to 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 handle Mo Salah, right? I blame Maguire for being such a horrible player on the pitch, both as a captain completely abandoning, and as a player to cause so many errors. And yes, part of it is the the Scott the Mc what do you call it McFred the McFred, McFred partnership. Yeah. It's just impossible. But to play the same exact 11 that had you 2-0 versus Atalanta and thinking that it was going to get you better against Liverpool, at the very least, I think, at the very least, you ought to know that you're not coming back against Liverpool once they start to have their foot on your neck. So I don't fully understand what the logic was in saying, cool, this is what happened in this game. It'll be different this time. Why? Right? Like, what about it specifically do you think will be different? Right? So from jump, I thought the lineup was... A, a poor decision, to be honest. But I understand. I know in in weeks past, you've said, "Well, listen, Ollie goes for the win, right?" And he thinks he does. He's doing what what will best get him the chance to succeed. But man, you know, historically, yeah. But when we look at games like this, when your team gets destroyed by your biggest rival, and it's not like this is a new transitional period. If this was, if if uh, hypothetically. Zidane had come in and in his second or third game in charge, he lost by that margin. He's not going to get fired, right? He's figuring it out. This is way too long now. I, like, I think this, if nothing else, has to be the nail in the coffin here because I don't really see what the yeah. benefit is in continuing, right? And I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I don't want anyone to think that I'm just here to, to defend Oli 100% right. of the time and I never have been that person. Um, and, and we will get to that managerial thing. It's just... For me, if if you're Luke Shaw and, and you look at his form last season, he doesn't have any leg to stand on. And I agree with you. Maguire was terrible in every possible, you know, criteria that you can throw at him. He yeah. was terrible in every single way. But again, Luke Shaw could have at least kept it at, you know, 3-0 with better positioning at halftime. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of that was preventable and you put us in an unnecessary risk by not holding your position. At least at least you're a body in the way. If you're not going to do anything defensively, you're at least one of those like mannequins that they have for training that he has <laughs> to now get around. And it's an extra five yards that Maguire can make up for it with his lack of pace. So it's, it's right. just, you're putting them at unnecessary risk. And yeah, it probably would have been a similar scoreline anyway, but it's just, it didn't help. And Where... in terms of the manager, sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, please finish your thought. Uh, it was just I was just gonna move on to the to the managerial thing. It's just so obviously when you're losing five nil, questions have to be raised towards the manager. They have to be raised towards every single player on the pitch. But 
of course the manager is where the the dollar stops right like that's where yeah he makes the decisions and obviously once they're out on the pitch there's not much else he can do other than make subs and like i said i would have taken Shaw off at 25 minutes but it didn't look like these players knew what they were doing and i don't know if they're hung over from tuesday not literally obviously obviously yeah. in in um, tuesday or wednesday again whenever it was against atalanta um or whatever it is but it just didn't look like they knew what a plan B was. And I know that's a criticism that you were throwing at Oli for a while. And it's it's a valid point. And I was just saying that when plan A works, it's been good. And that's that was my stance previously. And for me, I didn't see any obvious replacement to change it. So it was kind of like you're doing the same thing all over again. So you might as well just stick with it and hope he figures out a plan B. But it just didn't look like whenever plan A wasn't working, he knows what a plan B is. And that is something that has been leveled at him since the moment he walked in. But there, he had always had that cushion of, oh, it's the squad. He doesn't have the squad. Now he absolutely has the squad. And it's your yeah. squad. No one can say anything about that. Maybe with the lack of a six, but a six doesn't come in and, and fix this lack of a plan B. And when you are getting thrashed, the players need to know what they do in that situation. They need to know what crisis mode is. And it just didn't look like they knew what they were, what they were doing. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like a lack of plan B is one thing, but lack of plan A is another thing entirely. Right. It seems like my criticism of United at times has been, it looks like they don't have a plan at times during the game going forward. It seems like there's not like a specific structure of how they're building up play. It just seems like it's go and, and defensively it's like, all right, guys figure it out. Don't let them score. And I think part of that is why I don't necessarily fault Luke Shaw as much because I genuinely don't think he knows where to be because no one has told him where to be. And like, I think that lack of personnel is one thing, right? You know, obviously Varane didn't play. That's a huge loss. But aside from that, you, you know, you're still lacking in, in quality central midfielders in that too. That's another thing, you know, altogether. But overall, for the players that you have and the money spent, there, there has to be a more, you know, clearly defined defensive system to make sure that that doesn't happen. Because it'd be one thing if United were playing and pushing Liverpool back and got caught out a number of times. That's, you know, you remember when Villa tore uh, Liverpool to shreds, 7-2. It was through that style of, it's like, man, you yeah, can get it together. But that's one thing because they knew defensively yeah. where they should be. They just couldn't keep up with that high line and they they refused to acknowledge that they needed to drop back. United were getting walked through, which is a bigger problem, I think, right? Because they genuinely, you, you know, you criticize Luke Shaw's positioning. I don't think it's a coincidence that every week Luke Shaw has no idea where to go. <laughs> I think if there was a, I think in, in, a, in a Thomas Tuchel system, hypothetically, Luke Shaw would know, okay, I got to be here at all times. This is where I have to be. And if he was still completely out of position all the time in that, he, he wouldn't be playing, quite frankly, in the system. Uh, Right, and then we could start to to accuse him and to blame him and say, okay, listen, we know based on on the credentials of the manager that that you have been told where you should be and what you should be doing. All of the defensive players, because we're not seeing that, I have to I have to believe that you're stupid or disobedient, which is it, right. But I but I can't really fault the players for all these lack of a system there, which is I think at the very least what has been brought out the most, right? What we've been able to see most clearly in this game is just how comfortable it is for a team like Liverpool who know exactly what they're doing and how to carve you open to do that against players who, who don't know what to do. Sure. You can't fault that, but you can fault their, their professionalism. You can fault okay. their heads dropping 
for 90 yep. minutes and allowing yep. your team Absolutely. to score four in uh, halftime. You can fault them for not knowing, you know, listen, let me let me just protect my own integrity here. Forget about anyone else on the pitch. Forget about those other 10 players. I need to protect myself. So I need to work. And Luke Shaw yep. just wasn't doing that. Neither sure. was Maguire, neither was Lindelof, neither was Juan Bissaka, neither was anyone else on the pitch. And mm. I don't want to make it sound like I'm singling Shaw out, but it was just the most obvious one for me because he was so yeah you have the best player on the pitch versus somebody who doesn't know what they're doing it's gonna shaw is going to be the one and, and to be honest that's why i blame mcguire it's on the same side it's that left side of united's yeah. defense and, and, and i'm, just I'm said, not cool, disagreeing with i'm that. just gonna rip you guys to shreds yeah and i'm not disagreeing with that and it's funny that you bring up the defensive system because that defensive system is what made ollie successful in, in those big games you remember the big games that he won last year or even the year before that it was because of that defensive system that allowed him to then go and counterattack. And it's just weird. I don't know if it's because he now has the squad full of riches of attacking mm -hmm. players that he's like, uh, let's try to attack a little bit. And everything else has hit the fan. But maybe he should have gone back to that a little bit more because it looked like Liverpool was giving us the ball because they knew we weren't going to do anything with it. And yeah, we threatened a couple of times and we got into good positions, but really it was over after the 10th minute. Where, do, where does United go from here? Again, like I this said, is rock I'm bottom, not, right? Like, would you agree? Yeah. Is this is this rock bottom? Because it's not this, the fixture list doesn't get easier in the next few weeks either. I think no, it's just it going to be more of this. You know, the the pressure will continue to rise, which just yeah. begs the question: Where do they go from here? Because even if you were to bring somebody else in, they're going to be starting in the hardest possible place. Do you know what? Realistically, and someone asked me this today. Like he, he my my roommate asked me. If you do change the manager, do you do it now or do you do it after the City game when things have calmed down a little bit? And my response was, do it now. And again, mm. I don't want to. I'm not. I don't want people to misunderstand me in saying that this is me saying Oli should be sacked because, once again, I'm not the guy to to say the manager should be sacked or a manager should lose his job. I wasn't doing that with Mourinho. I won't do it with Oli. Yeah. It's just for me. I think he's reached his limit of where he can take this team, and maybe some new ideas could will take us forward and like i said was never his job to be the guy to take us to premier league winning teams it was actually his job to just be a guy till we found that guy but he earned his position his full-time position and took us from c to b now it's probably might be time to find someone to take us from b to a and yeah. there's no there's nothing wrong with that you can't always like not all managers are going to be the the world-class managers they're world-class nope. managers for that reason is because they're yeah. better than everyone else they so, can do things that no one else can do. Yep, I agree. Exactly. 100%. So logically, he's not there. Yeah. And that's no disrespect to him. It's just the limitations of him. If he stays, then that's the board's decision and they believe it. If they, if he goes, which I think is imminent, like you, like we said last time, then I then you'd have to go with someone now. And I think now is the best time because you have a week till Saturday or you know, five to six days till Saturday to find a manager and have him implement some sort of a training identity or just get to know the players at least before the Spurs game. Because if you wait till after the Spurs game, then you've got Atalanta on Tuesday and then you've got City on the weekend as well. So the games are going to be coming thick and fast at, at this new guy unless you do it now, because then he at least has three to four days to train with the players, see what he wants to do and at least get to know him a little bit. So is that new guy just going to be Mike Phelan <laughs> just stepping up as interim manager or is it somebody that you go? I think they would. Yeah, I think they would go and appoint someone just just like by who? what I'm I've this been begs hearing the question, from right? Fabrizio. I figured that's what you'd say, but it begs the question: Who? 
right? Who would ideally right now in this terrible yeah. place that United are in, but having rebuilt quite a bit, who inherits this squad and can take them to, to a level that Ollie simply can't? So you're looking at world-class managers or managers that can do better with world-class players. And I know mm. you raised Graham Potter as one of them, but again, yeah. I, I just don't think that if you have a crisis situation where you've lost 5-0 and Ronaldo and Pogba and Bruno and Rashford are looking at who's coming in now and Graham Potter comes in, I don't think they're going to be pretty pleased with that. And then again, I don't think he's coming anyway because he's not going to leave his team mid-season, yeah, yeah. regardless of if he is yep. the guy or not. So you're looking at managers that are available uh, and world-class managers. So world-class managers are only really Zidane and Conte in terms of credibility and, and achievements. Yep. Otherwise, you can maybe bring up, you know, Brendan Rodgers or, or Ralph Hasenuel or a Pochettino or whatever, but th those guys are not available. So let's stick right. with the first two. I think out of those two, who seem to be the only poss possible and available ones at the moment, I'd go with Zidane because it seems more of a Zidane squad than it is a Conte squad. Because That's you look sure. at what Conte yeah. is asking... He's, he's going to need someone to play a midfield two. And you when you have your best two midfielders are Pogba and Bruno, you're not going to find a system that works. And when you have wingers like Rashford and Sancho and Greenwood, who obviously plays on the wing at the moment, you're not going to be able to fit them in because you're just going to play Cavani and Ronaldo up top, which is fine, but then it's not going to happen week in, week out. And then you have three or four wingers on the bench every single game. Yeah. That's a fair point. Um, yeah, I mean, we can get into like a deep dive of who United's manager should be on a different day. I just wanted you to throw those names out there. Um, but I do want to move on because I know that we're on our tight schedule here and I want to touch on some other stuff that happened this weekend. Um, yeah, let's do it. But before we do, for the, for the record, I agree that the squad is, is better suited to be inherited by Zidane than Conte, but that's more of a nod to how Conte's system is ex extremely different and how United are really yeah. not set up to inherit a squad like that. But um, that doesn't mean I like the idea of Zidane, you know, being the manager of that team. I, I genuinely don't think, and I've spoken about Zidane before, just to touch on it quickly, his ability to take great into legend is, is, is something that I've never seen before. But I don't, I don't know because we haven't seen him at other clubs how he will do with mediocrity and taking them to 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 the next level. And the reason that I say mediocrity and, and actually we do have some experience seeing that, and it's when Real Madrid squad took a bit of a dip, right? Mm -hmm. We saw that Zidane was able to get the most out of the world class players he had, but the ones who were coming up, they didn't necessarily hit the same heights that we might think that they might that we might have thought they would. Which leads me to, to believe that Zizou is able to compete to to you know be on a mental wavelength with players who are of extreme superlative quality of his level when he was playing. Aren't, yeah, right, yeah. but the ones who aren't, maybe they're no, just not going to. Maybe they're not that. getting. And he's the antithesis yeah. of Ali, by the way, <laughs> because yeah. in terms of footballing brain, Zidane's got maybe the biggest one uh, out there, and it fits in that giant French Algerian head of his. <laughs> Before we move on. I have to say, my since, and I never thought I'd say this, but I have to legitimately apologize to Liverpool because we forgot, okay? And they yeah. reminded us. We were out here talking about our, our Prem predictions for the year, and we said, you know, United-Liverpool would probably be neck and neck, but we edged, out Liver we edged out, you know, in favor of United because of the Ronaldo appointment. But we just forgot how good this Liverpool squad really can be, especially when Mo Salah is in Ballon d'Or mood, right? When he's in the yeah, we need to see how they're going to cope world. with the African Cup of Nations. 
that's just it. Yeah. So maybe we'll, we'll revisit this again in, in May, but they reminded us that, Hey, if you're going to compare us and say, we're competing for the league, we're not favorites for it. Then we're going to remind you who it is we're competing with. And we're going to have those thrilling mm. games with them and, and compete with them. But let me show you our quality. We're going to blow the ones who aren't on our level out of the water, but you're right. The African combinations will definitely affect them. Um, because they do not have the depth or the quality in, especially in the in the positions that they're going to be losing. Nonetheless, yeah. we don't have a whole lot of time, so I just want to talk about it to to end out the show here. This, like for us as Premier League fans, predominantly, this was the biggest game that happened on Sunday, right? But globally, it wasn't. Globally, El Clasico yeah. also happened. Okay, did, how did you watch uh, any of it? I couldn't. No, no, yeah. So let me just uh, give you a brief rundown of what happened here, okay? All right, let's do it. The, the final score, for those who don't know, and most of you will, was... Uh, oh, geez, I guess so I didn't even Real finish Madrid. it. because Yeah. I, I didn't even know that Aguero scored at the end there, bro. <laughs> wow. Oh, no, yes, I do. Sorry. I'm remembering so much of the Liverpool game. I thought that was like a last-minute penalty looking at the scoreline. But the scoreline doesn't really reflect what it was, right? It was Real Madrid. It was very entertaining. It was very open this game, but it really wasn't as much as the scoreline would suggest. 2-1 kind of suggested it was close and Barca were mounting a comeback. There were few times in the game that I thought Barcelona were going to take it, right? I, th- I think overall the feeling was that Madrid felt comfortable in this game and the goals right. that they scored from your friendly neighborhood center back Cam David Alaba was incredible. And then when they scored in the 93rd minute, it just kind of put the game to bed. I want to throw to you to talk to about to talk about Kuman because honestly, like speaking of we, we've we've done the segue before, right? From one manager yeah. on the hot seat to the other. Is this Barca situation being blown out of a out of proportion a little? He's the first manager since nineteen since the nineteen thirties to lose four classicos. Obviously the squad isn't helping. <laughs> I think he's That's he's genuinely sure. Like he has both hands, feet, and neck tied down because there's mm. nothing else that he can do. So I don't know if you kind of just stay with him and hope that you know you can ride this out a little bit so you get a better squad, or you just hire another manager. But one thing is for damn sure they can't afford to fire him right now. Not at all, and and not to mention like I think as much as I bring up him being on the hot seat, I actually don't think it's the smartest move because. I think he was brought in to do a very specific job and it was to do exactly this, be the the bad guy, be the black sheep, be the scapegoat there for a very rough time for Barcelona and get fired. But Barcelona will be in a better place when he leaves it because he will have promoted youth players, check and check, even if he hasn't handled them right. Don't play Pedri every three days, bro, because Pedri now can't come back from from this nagging injury. Ansu Fati was out for way longer than we thought he would with a little knee surgery. Like he was out for almost yeah, a year yeah. and we thought he'd be out for, for 12 weeks. Um, that's a little alarming, but we hope that he returns to the form that he was at. Um, aside from that, listen, Barca obviously don't have the same clinical firepower that they once did. And I think that's problematic for them. But, you know, we could talk about Barca being in trouble all the time. One thing that I think we have to address on this show is we may have been wrong about Vinicius. Don't do we this may. to me. No, no, we may have Don't been. do this to me. I can't we, be we, wrong twice in the same week. Uh, dude, we, I think no. we owe him a bit Come of Come back apology, to me man. next Monday. No, we can I'm talk about it again later, but I just want to address this, okay? 
Vinicius, in my opinion, is you can say whatever you want to say. He is adding some stuff to his game, man. And the thing is, like, it almost seems like a waste sometimes when you have players who are this explosive and agile, who are like insane dribblers, but they have no end product. And you're like, ah, oh, man, like if Adama. you just had, if you could, well, Adama, but like. Adama's a tank too, right? So he could just run yeah, through yeah. people and he's scary when he's running at you. Vinicius isn't scary when he's running at you. It's just the fact that he's so agile and his dribbling is so absurd that the way he can kind of get out and maneuver out of type spaces and create is wonderful. But it would seem like it was, so, it was always such a waste because he couldn't do anything. But he's becoming more than just a flashy winger. He's starting to add to his, to his final third game. And I'm not saying he's there yet, but I'm saying he's dazzling. And... This season, he's already been more clinical than he has in any of his previous seasons at Madrid. Maybe this is the season where he kind of comes through. And he's got freaking, in nine matches, he's got seven goal involvements already, including five goals. That's great for him because he never used to do that. You know, like, you got to figure Vinicius is a player who in the future, in the next couple of years, he's still only 21. If by 25, this is a player who has some end product and he continues to have that kind of razzle-dazzle flash that he does. Even like if it's... 10, 10 goals, 10 assists every season. Like that is, it's going to be a, that is quite good. He's going to be like a, a, something special to watch. And, and the, and the goals that he will be involved in will be huge goals, which will be very exciting. All right. Well, now I'm not ready to admit that yet. So come back. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) I have some thoughts on, I watched Atletico Madrid and uh, Real Sociedad. I have some thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really am glad, and we're going to wrap soon here, but I really am glad that Tama Lamar is finding his feet as an eight. And this game didn't suggest it as much because this is kind of referring to even the Liverpool game, you know, midweek, which was thrilling as well. When Atletico Madrid, who are now starting to play in this 3-5-2 formation, he's playing mm-hmm. as one of the eights, the other being uh, Rodrigo de Paul. It's, it's starting to link up very well. And I think for a long time, since the Monaco days of Tama Lamar, we were like, bro, When's this dude going to like be that guy for Atletico Madrid? But in the system that Simeone plays, especially in a 4-4-2, he's like, okay, I guess I'm a left mid, but I'm like a defensive left mid. Like I really can't get anything going. Now he's like an eight who's getting forward and creating and being, you know, running at people. Like he's finally getting to rev his engine a little and show what he's capable of. And he's a hell of a freaking player, man. I'm glad that he's I'm getting called up for fronts for it. Yeah, to play in midfield, not even on the wing. Like, bro, this is yeah. this guy's best position, and and few of us knew about it until we actually started seeing him play there. And I'm very happy to to see that. Alternatively, uh, Joao Felix playing in a two in a three five two is dope, man, because he drops he drops so deep, it's but sick. he creates, and it makes me wonder whether or not in his future he will actually be a center forward, or if he's actually going to be like. Something we can't really tackle like an eight, but Some he, sort he of a drops cam. deep. Yeah, like he drops deep to create. It's I it's want him to add the goals to his game, but he's, yeah, he's developed. You know, the, the, his he's finally flourishing creatively, and I'm so excited to see that. I just hope he can stay fit. It's Harry Kane on uh, in a Mourinho system, just skinnier, way more agile, better dribbling, <laughs> and younger. It doesn't get as many goals. Like if he can reach a Harry yeah, Kane level, obviously, I'll be thrilled as the my my guy, my guy's role. Last thought of the day, um, Alexander Isak is so nasty, bro. He, he's he really so is. good. He's, he's so, so good. good. And it makes me wonder, and I'm going to talk to KJ about this when I have him on. I'm gonna, I got some good ideas for the next couple of weeks, by the way. Uh, one of them I'm going to talk to KJ about, but especially about Alexander Isak. But Can't wait. Makes me wonder how, how much thought should be given to him approaching, uh, you know, 
a massive club right away and filling that nine spot because when you have a like a tall dribbler, there's nothing quite like it, right? When yeah. you have a player who's tall but can dribble, it kind of checks. It's magical, right? They seem like they're just gliding. It's awesome to watch. And the goal that he set up for for Atletico, uh, excuse me, for for Sociedad on the weekend, I was like, what a ball, man! Like he can even play and put and center the ball from out wide. He's a player and a half, and I love me some Alexander Isak. Yeah, I'll actually give final thoughts on um, on another big game that happened. Please do. It's PSG Marseille. That game, I I, I watched it fully. And honestly, I I was quite disappointed with PSG. That game saw two goals. We were wrong about that third thing uh, that we were wrong about. They're not winning Champions League. They're not winning. They're not not winning. They're not winning 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 anything. They're not winning anything. Like they they might still win Liga, but that's it. Right. And and we saw a a goal for each team disallowed thanks to VAR. And rightfully disallowed. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain about that. What yeah. I will complain about is that this is too much of an individual team. And mm. you know, if if this was a team in the Premier League called Manchester United, people would be losing their heads about Pochettino because this That's team fair. it's not gelling well at all. Well, imagine that you bring in six new players in your starting eleven, and you leave out one of the most in, one of the most crucial gelling players, which is Wijnaldum. Leave him on the bench. I wonder why the hell can't this team find its feet? Well, why do you think, bro? You completely rebuilt the on a pass to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, honestly, I wish I could watch more of Ligue 1 and PSG play this year. But from what I've seen, I know they beat City. They haven't been impressive, and they've no. like we Domestic were very, beat. very wrong to assume yeah. that they were going to win everything that that we thought they were going to win. Because on in FIFA, they'll win everything, but in reality. Yeah. Maybe it's just mentally they show up for Europe and they're just like walking the league because they know they're going to win. Maybe. Maybe that's it. Maybe the mentally the players just can't get revved up for a league and match. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it's possible. Anyway, is that a good spot to leave it? I think so. I think we covered a lot. In a very I think we did time. cover a lot. Yeah, I don't like these condensed episodes. I hope that in uh, in the coming weeks that we have... I mean, that we'll, we'll go back to our normal form of just kind of talking to our heart's content here. But... We had to make some adjustments this week. We hope you guys don't mind. We hope you still enjoyed the 40-ish minutes that we brought to you guys. Uh, at the past couple of weeks, we've been hitting like 120, right? Yeah. So we've given you more than an hour. Today, we had to kind of cut it. But uh, nonetheless, we hope you enjoyed episode number 114 of the Jersey Wall podcast, recapping this weekend's awesome Super Sunday. As always, I've been your host, Mr. Nathan Santos. That is Mina Gali. Brethren, where can we see more from you? You can find me on Instagram at minadokgali98 and on Twitter, I'll follow you back if you can find me. Boom. You can find me on Instagram at the Nathan Santos. Find me on Twitter at MasterChefNay. Also on YouTube at MasterChefNay. That's where you can find bonus clips of the Jersey Wall podcast, Bro Talk, uh, and all that other fun stuff that we do there. Follow the Jersey Wall podcast on Instagram at Podcast. And thank you so much for tuning in this week. Once again, don't forget to go to elmontyouthsoccer.com to start building your very own Jersey Wall collection. Brethren, thanks again for joining me. Look forward to the next week. Me too, dude. Guys, take care. Enjoy this horrible fall weather. And we'll see you next time (laughs) right here on the Jersey Wall Podcast, baby. Woo!